I want to welcome all of you who are here as well as those who are watching or listening off-site. Uh, by the way, we have a lot of people who are involved in listening or watching uh, our service, so we have a lot of people who aren't here who are here. Does that make sense? Yeah, there we go. Uh, I want to invite you to take your uh, Bibles and turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. History Channel's uh, The Bible miniseries had de- uh, debuted before 13.1 million viewers. That is a lot of viewers. In fact, that is the most any entertainment uh, cable show has had this whole year so far. It's, it was just kind of like off the charts. More recently, there was a survey that was taken. This was still when it wasn't quite over. At that time, 42% of the adults watching had watched at least a portion of that miniseries. That is telling me this. There's people interested in knowing what the Bible says, what the Bible really says. And that is good news, is it not? That's very good news. Now, here's, here's the twist to that. Now, we all know that what you hear somebody say the Bible say, or what you may see on a TV show or anything else, you know what, when it's, especially for TV, they have to kind of edit it down to shorten the version up to get it all in there. So you don't really know exactly what it says until you do what? Open it up yourself and read it for yourself. That's when you find out what the Bible really says. So what we're going to do over the next uh, few weeks, what we're going to do is take the last 24 hours. If you want to be more specific, actually, it's more like the last uh, 14 hours of Jesus's life up to the cross. And we're going to look at it, what the Bible really says about it. Now, This is a golden opportunity to help your friends who are curious what the Bible says to really know what the Bible says. It's helping them. You're enabling them to to know what God's word really does say. So I want to encourage you to seize this moment and challenge them to come with you. Or if you're watching offsite, you have a friend, let them know what's going on so they can watch it as well. The bottom line is we want to help people know what the Bible really does say. Not what someone else says, but what the Bible really does say. Because you know what? We can get off base so easily by having our own twists on it. We can see what the Bible says for ourselves and be able to live that way. Did you know that most of the sins that we commit if we're responsible Christians, I want to use that term, responsible Christians, because some people call themselves Christians and they don't care if they sin, okay? We're talking about most of the sins that responsible Christ followers commit are done like car accidents. They accidentally, unexpectedly sin. How many of you can relate to that? You didn't intend to do it, but you did it. In fact, the Old Testament calls those the sins of ignorance. And another phrase that they use is the unintentional sins. That's in contrast to those that we willfully do or that we deliberately sin. How many know the difference between that when you're watching your kids? Sometimes they're just willfully wrong and naughty, right? Other times they're just this childish irresponsibility that happens and they don't mean to. 
Now, there's still sins. Don't misunderstand me. There's still sins. But what the bottom line is, when it's an unintentional sin, it's not the end of the road. There's still things that you can do rather easily. In fact, in fact, some of those unintentional sins are really your friends. Does that kind of sound kind of weird? They are because here's what happens. More often than not, we think we are holier than we really are. I'm okay. I'm not as bad as... I'm really pretty holy, but when we unintentionally sin, what happens? It humbles us because we see there's still a lot of what? Wickedness still in us, right? How many know there's a little wickedness still in you? So when, that, when you unintentionally sin, it's sort of like, hello. And it shows you, you still need a lot of God's grace. Amen? I know that I, for one, need a lot of God's grace in my life. Now, it was a night before Jesus was crucified. That Thursday night, Jesus modeled how we can avoid getting into those unexpected sins in our life. You're not going to stop them, but you can avoid a lot of them. And it happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was really, may I say, the watershed time in Jesus' life. Because from this time on, there was a different demeanor. There was something totally changed in him. And we're going to look at that today. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from this passage that's just there in the garden and what happens there, the arrest. We, we, can, we can look at that and we can learn from that. But the bottom line is, I sense that I want to, I feel like God's Spirit is saying, let's focus just on how to avoid temptation. How many of you want to avoid temptations? Amen. That we do. We want to, how do we do that? Now, let's first of all look at this fact. Temptation is not a sin. Did you catch that? Temptation is not a sin. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, a strange verse, but a very important verse says, Jesus was led up by what? That's the Holy Spirit. He was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be by whom? Does that sound a little strange to you? What do you mean? Jesus being led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil? Whoa, what's wrong with this picture? The reason we think there's something wrong with it is because we don't understand the role that temptation plays in our life. Actually, every human, every human must experience temptation. That temptation itself is not your problem. It wasn't Jesus' problem. It wasn't, it's not anybody's problem. The temptation itself is not the problem. It's what we do with that temptation. How do we respond when that happens? What do we do with it? That's where the issue is. You can take all the temptations away and all that's going to do is leave us in our wicked condition. Does that make sense? What that does is makes us to make a choice what to do. Jesus was tempted. And he did what? He overcame that temptation and he wants to help you and help me how to know how to overcome it ourselves. Now, here's what happened. 
We all familiar with the Lord's Supper, that infamous Lord's Supper. And Jesus then led his disciples out of the city. And it begins in verse 36, the last part of verse 36, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, actually, he was saying this to to eight of those disciples because Judas was already gone. He's going to be taking three more later. He says to those eight, he says, do what? Sit here while I go over there and pray. But he didn't stop there. He takes his other three. Notice what it says. He says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which were John and James. He takes them and as he's going with them, he began to be what? Sorrowful and troubled. Now, let's kind of relate to that. How many of you have ever had a storm coming? You see it and you get this ominous feeling inside. This is not going to be pretty. I mean, have you ever felt that? Or there's something else and you know there's going to be a conflict coming and you get this feeling in your gut. It starts locking up because you have this ominous feeling. This is not going to be pretty. That is a, similar to what Jesus had, except what Jesus was experiencing, as you'll see in a moment, it was many times more than that. So take what you have, put it, put it on steroids, and now we're beginning to see what Jesus was feeling when he felt that way. And he then said to his, the, Peter, James, and John, he says to them, my soul is just sorrowful. Very sorrowful. Even to the point I feel like I'm going to die. How do you, can you imagine, can you begin to relate a little bit? How does that feel when you're just, oh man, it's like, this is, this is horrible. And so he says to them, remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. What he's talking about is, don't go to sleep. Stay alert and pray with me. This is a very difficult time. What was he saying? He was saying, look, I feel really, really in a tight space. I need you guys to pray with me. If ever I needed friends, now's the time. So please, please stay with me. And what was it he prayed? He went on a little farther from those three and he bowed his face to the ground. Get a picture of that. He, he puts his head all the way down to the ground. He's feeling terrible. And he began to pray. What did he pray? My father. Isn't that who you're going to pray to? God, I, I, you're my father. And he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, he didn't just pray that once. He prayed that over and over. We know at least three times because that's what it says in there. I want to ask you something. What do those words that Jesus prayed tell you that was going on inside of his head? The reality is, 
When I listen to people, I listen to what they say as well as what they don't say. Because both of them tell you a lot. And so what you're looking at here is what was going... This is revealing what was going on in Jesus' head, in his heart. He knew what? There was this ominous feeling something bad, really bad, is coming ahead. I have in, received various insights in the spirit. In his mind, he was thinking, there's, I know a little bit of it, about what's going to happen. I know they're going to kill me. I know all these, but I don't have any idea how bad this is going to be. All I got is this gut feeling that says, it's going to be really bad. And he says, if I'm going to go, said talking to, him, to himself perhaps, if I'm going to go through this pain, I must pray. I've got to win a battle. That battle wasn't with sin. That battle was, was, was with whom? Himself. Because his desire and God's desires were two different things. Does that ever happen in your life? Something we all can relate to. It was his will versus God's will. Yeah, but I really want to do this. Yeah, I really don't want to do that. And he had to first win that battle. And when I say win, that doesn't mean win it so that he can do what he wants. Win it so that he surrenders. He submits instead of being independent. Because that is something we all fight with. Isn't it? Isn't that the same battle your kids face? You face? Your neighbors face? We must first decide in our hearts who we are going to obey. As a child, they have to decide what? Are they going to obey mom and dad? Or are they going to do what they want to do? They're going to have to decide later on, am I going to obey what the teacher says? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Or my friends want to do? And as we grow up, we have to learn to grow, uh, to, to say to our, and we have to wrestle with issues. Am I going to do what my boss says? Or am I going to do what I want to do? You see that same picture? It, it, we're going to wrestle with what the courts say, whatever the law says. What, but what it's also a matter of saying, we have to decide, am I going to do what I say or the court sayer, or am I going to do what God says? We all wrestle with it. And once that issue is resolved in your life, once that issue is resolved in Christ's life, it's then it's a matter of just doing what you know you got to do, right? Just do it. The next verse says, in verse 40 it starts, And Jesus had prayed for about an hour. Think about this. How long do you pray? We're talking about an hour. He prayed this in this difficult time. He prayed and he returned to his disciples and he found them asleep. How do you think he felt about that time? If your best friends, your closest friends, you ask them to pray for you, you ask them to support you, and you come back and they're really supporting you as they... Wow. Do you feel ever alone? Do you think Jesus felt alone? I think he did. And he says to them, what? Peter, couldn't you watch with me even 
One hour? Don't you, don't you care about me enough to even give me one hour? And here's the key line. Please mark this in your mind, whatever. He says this, keep watch and why? So that you will not give in to... Now please, mark that in yellow marker, whatever in your notes there. You mark it in your Bible. Pray so that you don't give in to temptation. Why? Because your spirit, down inside what you want to do, there's a, that part of you that wants to obey God. You want to. That part's the willing part. But the body, the mind, the wrestling that we go on, that part of you is what? Weak. Can you relate to that? It was maybe... It was maybe an hour and a half or 90 minutes before this moment. Jesus had told Peter and all the disciples that they were going to leave him. And he told Peter specifically, you're going to what? Deny me. How many times? Three times. And I find it very interesting. How is it that you feel when somebody says you're not really going to, you're not as committed as you think you are? Oh, yes, I'm really committed. I'm really committed to my wife. I'm really committed to this job. I'm, I'm really committed to Christ. I, I'm really a pretty good Christian. I'm really committed to that. Oh, okay, okay. What was it that Peter says when Jesus said, you're going to leave me, you're going to deny me? He says what? Did you think he just said, I don't think so. I think he caught into it. No, I'm not going to do that. Who do you think I am anyway? He said, even if I have to, I will never deny you. And notice the last words. What does it say? All the other disciples vowed the same way. Now please get this. Peter's ego, his flesh, had made that claim just as we make our claims about how committed we are to God. I'm not going to sin. I'm going to do it right. I got it. I got it. We certainly intend to, but it's those unintentional, it's those things that pop up when we don't expect them, and we do it anyway. Reminds me of a time We uh, we were living in Oregon at this time, and uh, we had one car as our family. And on Sundays, I was in ministry. I was on I was on the staff there doing youth and music, and I would come back, go to church. Of course, we would go to church, come back, eat, and then I would go back because I had to get the evening service because we had Sunday night church then. I had to get the evening service and had, I was music, so I had to provide and, and orchestrate all that and make sure that the music was done right, etc. So anyway, I went back and it didn't go real good for me. That, you know, have you ever had problems when you're trying to get something done and it just doesn't go right? That's sort of what happens. And when you get that way, you just really get intense, right? You just, well, I normally would go home and get Connie. 
and pick her. And, and I don't know if Amber, I can't remember if Amber was born yet or not, but it was at least Danae was there. And uh, Connie would pick her up and bring her back to church before church and everything was cool, right? I got so involved in that that I forgot. And I was sitting on the platform and church had started and it suddenly dawned on me. Oh, I forgot to pick Connie up. <laughs> Folks, that's not good. <laughs> Haven't done it since. <laughs> Can you guess why? <laughs> cars and two cars and a cell phone helps. <laughs> I was just going to say how I resolved that we got another car later. <laughs> no. The reality is I didn't intend to do that. Have you ever done any of those kind of things? Sad but true. You, you have. Jesus saw what was coming. He saw what was ahead. And that's why he told his, his disciples to do what again? Pray. But since they couldn't see what was ahead, they didn't know, yeah, well, Jesus said, as our friend saying, I think he is kind of bothered about something. You know, I don't know what it is, but, you know, you know they still kept thinking Jesus was going to be physically the king, so they weren't too worried. And they just, because they couldn't see it, they didn't feel the urgency. And therefore, what happened? They didn't do what they were told. You see, what is it that happens in our life when we don't really see the need for it? We tend to what? Ignore it, do whatever we want. The, the truth of the matter is the value of prayer is not so much in your mind. It's not about your mind. It's not about your emotions. It's not even about your body. Nearly as much as it is about your inner spirit. Something you can't see. So let me ask you. Why is it that you sometimes fail to connect with God? Not just say your little quick prayer in the morning. Why is it you don't take time to connect with God every morning or whenever you pray? We do it for the same reason Peter didn't. Because it, we couldn't see it. It didn't make sense. I don't know there's any value. I never see any value to this. It's not physical. He didn't take it earnestly. He didn't take it seriously. And therefore, they didn't do it. But the truth of the matter is, he didn't see the temptation ahead. And neither do you and I see the temptation ahead of us. And it's, please get this, please get this. It's your connection time with God that helps you avoid the train wreck of temptation that's just waiting around the corner. You don't know how much you need that prayer. God does. That's why He tells us to do what? Pray. How often? Without ceasing. If you notice, this is exactly what Jesus was telling Peter to do, isn't it? He was saying, pray. Why? 
He was saying, pray so that you will not fall, give in to what? Temptation. Isn't that what he says? Why? Why did he say that? Because he knew human nature. He knew that man may want to do what's right, but their desire in their heart, their, their heart may be right, but their willpower to do it because they can't see it. They're not driven. That's really weak, he says. Did you know there was a, there was a guy by the name of Richard Dobbins who started a clinic that was just for ministers out in Ohio. And he'd done this for quite a few years and ministering to missionaries, particularly ministers who were missionaries or pastors or evangelists or whatever, who'd gotten into problems in their life or there was a tragedy or whatever, but a lot of times it was because of moral failure or a marriage problem. And he said after he was near the end of his term, and I heard him say it more than once, I talked to him about it, the reality is, he says, the all, all of the pastors, all of the ministers, the missionaries, all of them who fell morally, first had stopped their quiet time with God. They still were in the Bible to get a sermon, but not to build that. Does that make sense? That's how valuable it is. But that's not just for ministers. That's for absolutely every person. Please understand. Your first and your foremost, your fiercest battle that you're going to fight is not when temptation comes. But rather, it, you fight it before. It comes. Why? Your willingness is there. Your spirit is willing, but your humanity is weak. There was a guy, again, in our my youth group when I was out in Oregon. We were just getting ready to leave. I mean, in fact, I think it was the next day we were actually going to leave. And I was in my office. And one of the former guys that grew up in our, our youth group that I had been there while I was there, and very special guy, he was digging a hole for to put a septic tank in. Okay? Backhoe and all that. And he, he and his cousin were there working on this job. And something happened. And... even though they knew they were supposed to put that cage in there to stop the walls from caving. And he he, he knew that they intended to do it, but something happened and he jumped in the hole to do fix whatever it was and the walls caved in on him. Of course, they panicked, but it was too late. Do you think it was because they didn't intend to do it right? Or do you think it just happened because they didn't do what they should have done. Can you relate to any of that? Being buried alive that way? It's true. We all have good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Your prayer, your prayer time, your connection with God is 
absolutely the greatest possible weapon or defense against temptation. Any temptation that you will face. Your prayer, your connection with God. Not just saying, uh, you, you know, your little ritual prayer. I'm, not the, I'm talking about connecting with God. So let's look at what happened to Peter. What happened? Told him to pray three times. Last time he says, oh, it's too late now. Right? Had he prayed? No. He went to what? Sleep. Peter and the disciples, what happened to them because they didn't pray? Well, the enemy came. Judas came with all the troops that were going to arrest Jesus. And it didn't take long until all of the disciples split. Right? I'll never forsake you. Isn't that what they said? We'll never forsake you. Oh, really? When the temptation hit, they weren't prepared. Peter went on not just to run. He came back and tried to follow at a distance so he kind of keep up because he was interested in what was going on. But that only led to one thing. Getting in position so that he would deny him how many times? Three times. Why is it they failed? Because they had not prepared their spirit. You'll see this more clear in a moment. Because they had not prayed as Jesus told them to pray. He wasn't telling them to pray just for me. They needed to pray so they wouldn't enter into temptation. Now, how did they feel about that? How do you think, how would you feel about that? You'd feel bad, wouldn't you? And what was it that Peter did? He went out and wept bitterly. Contrast that with Jesus. He prayed earnestly. How long? All night. And he prayed so earnestly, his, it, the intensity was so great, he sweat as it was drops of blood. Now, now that's, pretty, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's pretty intense. How serious was he about praying? Really serious. I ask you, do you think if you were that kind of serious about prayer that you would overcome the temptations that you face? And what was the result of him praying with that intensity? His, when, he, when time progressed, he faced the betrayal. He faced that kangaroo court that was over. They actually had two of them that night that were totally illegal. He faced all of the abuse, the physical abuse, more than any man could handle in, in the normal. The beating, mockery, the whole thing. And he did it all with hardly saying one word. He never got angry. He never blamed anybody. Why? Because he had already made the decision, I'm going through with this, no matter what happens. You see, he'd made that choice. It wouldn't have happened if he first hadn't resolved in that prayer, Father, I don't want to do this. May it pass from me. But it's not my will, but your will be done. So when do you pray? Do you pray before or after the temptation? Do you pray in the morning or after? In the evening? Jesus, you find connected with His Father most of the time. Most of the time in the morning. I think He must have been a morning person. Some of you guys are morning people. Some of you guys are night people. My wife is a, a, a night person and I'm a morning person. And 
that's when your, your brain's functioning the brightest, right? Well, I didn't say it was bright. As everybody else's, that was just bright. It's better, as good as it's going to get. But Jesus normally prayed then. But he, this time he prayed at night. What does that say? My point is, it doesn't matter when or where you pray. So long as you actually connect with God. And your best time to pray is when your mind is most alert so that you can hear Him rather than, Oh, Lord, I'm so sleepy I can't hear you. Does that ever happen to you? Sure, it does with all of us. The point of the matter is you just need to connect with God, genuinely connect with God when you pray. What do you talk to God about? Talk to God whatever's on your mind. What was on Jesus' mind? That ominous thing that he was facing. So he, could, he started to pray about that. Now he could have prayed about a lot of different things about that, that whole thing. Oh, Father, those knuckleheads, bless them with a brick. They don't... Who are they? What, they... He could have prayed, God, just help me not to feel the pain. Have you ever prayed that before you go to the dentist? Just help me not to feel the pain. You know, make it make it not too bad. Just numb me or something. He could have called ten thousand angels, but what did he do? He didn't do those things. He prayed just about the thing that he was wrestling with the most. The thing that he knew was the real issue. It wasn't those bad people. It was his wrestle match with. His own self. Will I do what what God is saying? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Am I right? And that's where the battle rages. He prayed, Father, not my will. But God, just do it your way. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if I don't want it that way. I want it your way. Have you ever argued with God about something in your life? Maybe you're arguing even right now in the last weeks or whatever. We all have to some extent. There's something we want to do or don't want to do. There's something we need to accept and we don't want to accept it. And God is saying, no, do it or don't do it or whatever or accept it or not, whatever it is. Is it about a relationship? Is, is it about some situation at work? Is it about a health issue? I don't know what it is about, but you do. You understand it. I'm talking to you. This is your world. What are you wrestling with God about? The question I ask you is, will you honestly say, as Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but yours. And when you are able to say those words through tears, as I'm sure Jesus was in, his, in the garden, he was sweating as it was, drops of blood. And we're talking about we're talking about agony, right? He was through tears. He said, "Father, no, no, I want your will." When you are able to say from your heart, "God, I don't want to do this, but I want you more. I'm going to do it your way, whatever it is," and you keep that in the forefront of your mind, you will find yourself victorious over whatever temptation you are facing. Can you believe that? Say amen.
That's how it works. Because now God gives you His empowerment to do that. But whenever you pray, it's more productive if you pray before you face the temptation to sin. If That is, if you want to avoid it. I've been gifted maybe a little bit higher than normal in the area of self-discipline, and I'm grateful for that. And sometimes I lean more on those natural ability, and I would trust in that ability of self-discipline. I'm just not going to do that. But when I do that, please hear me, I find myself winning battles but losing the war. Does that make sense? And Jesus said it this way, and here's what I, this is what I found to be true in my life. He said, that which is born of the flesh, that is what is born of my ability, that which is born in my head or whatever, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and the flesh can't stand the battle. But that which is born of the Spirit, when you connect it with God and let His Spirit be involved, that's when His Spirit brings power you didn't have before. If you want God's protection, if you want that spirit protection, if you want His blessing, you must connect with God and do the things He wants to do His way and not your way. Amen? It's the way it is. And He's saying you need to pray this way. Why? Because I just want you to pray this way? No. He's saying I want you to pray this way so you will not give in to Temptation. Do you want to give in to temptation or you want to overcome it? It requires prayer. Now we have all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm busy and I got all these voices and you okay? Well, that's fine. The disciples had excuses too. They were probably very tired. That's natural. But the same thing will happen when you use excuses. It will be failure in your life just as it did for the disciples. But when you connect with God's Spirit, He alone will release His Spirit to help you do what you can't do otherwise. Now, what is it today in your life that this episode that I've just talked about, of Jesus' time on earth, what has it impressed upon your mind, your spirit, down inside, your inner being? Did you hear a still whisper Applying something in your world, in your life, today? If so, that's God's voice. And the most important thing you can do when you hear God's voice is not put it off. No procrastinate. The most important thing you can do now if He's speaking to you is to honor. Honor the fact God, your Creator, spoke to you And act on whatever it was He said to you. Whatever He's bumping you on, do it. Do it. Because that's in your best interest. Do it today. Don't don't procrastinate. So what is it that you need to obey today? What has He been saying to you today? Are you just going to say, no, I can't pray, I can't do that, I can't... No, somebody will think I'm unspiritual. If that's what you're worrying about, you're going to fail. You've got to say, no, I want that most. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sometimes think that prayer is something that's kind of a religious thing that you do. 
not something that's all that critical. We don't see the results as quickly as we would like. But God, we don't realize that prayer is really more about our spirit and more about things we can't see. Help us to realize that if you told us to pray so we don't enter in temptation, we better pray. And may we take it serious. And not be like the disciples and just ignore it and it's not that important. May we learn from this episode in Jesus' life, taken right out of Scripture, this applies to us in our world today. And may we apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand. As we worship in song, may I say to you, if God is speaking to you to kneel to bow at His altar, do so. Respond to what He is saying to you. The prayer teams are in the back. If you'd like to have someone pray with you, go back there. But the bottom line is, do what God is saying to you for you to do. Because that's most important.